Thank you, Nigel. Thank you very much. Oh, good morning. Good. It's uh, great to be back with you after a few weeks of holiday um, and an opportunity to share God's word with you. So we're in a bit of a transition season from uh, a previous series and going against going to a new series starting in September and uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I think John will explain more about that. I think probably next week in terms of that. Di- oh no, next time we meet uh, in terms of direction of where we're going to go with that. Um, Is that good? Yeah, brilliant, fantastic, awesome. Because it does mean then that I can, uh, I can use my hands a little bit more, which is always a good thing, um, in that I, I talk with my hands quite a lot. I don't know whether you've noticed that. Yeah, you have, cool. So today we're going to be in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, and this is a... This is a passage of scripture that um, I, I, I felt like I, I, I felt like the Lord wants me to speak on. I, I'd been wrestling with this a little while ago um, in terms of whether when, when to share it and where to share it, and and so we're gonna we're gonna be anchored in, in Ephesians four and um, and looking at verses one to sixteen. And the, what's the purpose of the church? How does Jesus make it make his purposes known? How does he want to operate in and through us? That kind of stuff. Because there's some key things, I think, that uh, Paul lays out in his letters, which is, which is not unusual because they're given for us, for our benefit, so that we might become all that God has purposed us to be and do all that God has called us to do. So there's, a, there's this being and doing. There's a, 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 an ebb and flow between being in God and being in Christ and doing what he purposed us to do. Now, you're not purposed to do what I'm purposed to do because we are different. Okay? So if, you, if, if we compare ourselves to other people, it's, it's a false dawn, it's a false start, we'll never get anywhere because we're comparing ourselves to the way that somebody else is designed to operate rather than operating out of who God has called us to be. Now, we're all called to be in Christ Jesus. So there is a, a sense of which we are, allow our inner world to be shaped by who he has called us to be, who he is and who he's calling us to be. Those two things are entwined. And so we operate out of, out of what God is doing in and through us. And so, but we're part of a collective. It's not just about me and Jesus. And it's not just about you and Jesus. It's not just about what Jesus has purposed you to do and you can get on doing it in your own merry little way. It's not just about what God has purposed me to do and I can just get on and do it without uh, any, any thought about anybody else. No, we, we're, called to be, um, we're called to be family. We're called, we're called a body. We're not like a body. We are a body. And so we are going to unpack some of the things that Paul says to the church in, in Ephesus around unity and diversity in the body and the gifts of Christ to the church. And, uh, and I know the kids are in, in which it looks like they're going to be having great fun. Um, and I hope that actually they pick up some of the things that I say. Because I, I think God's depositing gifts in people and creating people, not when they get into adulthood, but when they get into, into this, this age, like Reuben. How's God designed Reuben? <laughs> What are the gifts that God's placed in Ruth? Or Hannah, or Sarah, or Bella, or Naomi, or, or Elijah, or Gloria? Who has God birthed them to be? Yeah. 
Because actually, if we can identify that early, we can help them on the journey, just not about doing, but being. And we can draw out the gifts of God in them early so that they, they truly do become the gift to the church. I, wish I, I only wish I'd got this a little bit sooner, to be honest. Because the sooner we can realise how God's designed us, the more effective I think he can use us to, not, not so it's about us, but for the benefit of others and the benefit of the church and the benefit of his mission. Because it's never just about us. It's about how he's positioned us in the world to radiate his glory. So, shall we read the passage before I say any more? Thank you. Let's do that. Therefore I, I, therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Did you get that? One God and Father of all, who is above all, through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us, not to some of us, but grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says... When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who ascended is also the one, uh, sorry, the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Wow. Until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by, the, by Christ's fullness. Verse 6, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Verse 13, until we reach the unity of faith and in the, in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. What's Paul saying? We haven't arrived yet, but what's the goal? We'll get to that. That's, a, that's a huge. Uh, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the winds and waves, blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the, in the techniques of deceit. But speak the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up of it, uh, itself in love. 
by the proper working of each individual part. How long have I got? Two hours. Excellent, Alan. You've said it. Those shall it be. Um, so I'm going to try and do this in about an hour and a half. <laughs> no. um, so just to ha- try and help us land some of this, a little, hopefully a m- memorable saying. Um, when unity is crucial and ministry isn't optional, maturity is natural. When unity is crucial and ministry isn't optional, maturity is natural. So, in some ways, we're all prone to wanting to play the superstar. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I say that. I know that I am. Like, when I played football, I wanted to be the star. I, you know, I didn't want to be right back. I wanted to be right in the middle of, that, of the action. I wanted to be a midfield general that was passing the ball like Steven Gerrard to in pinpoint accuracy. And those of you who don't follow football, it's like, Stephen who? <laughs> just fill in the gaps with who, you know, your sporting hero or your, the person that you just think, oh, they, they got it nailed and if only that we could be like them because they have such an influence and such an impact. It would be amazing. Um, I know that's true of my heart. Because we all like it to think that this world revolves around me. And it doesn't. Um, the thing is about the giftings that God places in the church and the unity of the body, if we all think that way, it's destructive. It's, it's challenging because actually we end up with this competition between one another. Of, well, if only I could be like that and we miss out on being who he's truly called us to be. Now the reality is that some functions in the church do seem to have a greater prominence. Some in the church seem to get a greater, greater voice, a greater sense of, 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 of identity. And it often is around, it's around leaders or personalities. You know, you only need to go onto Instagram and you see, well, I won't go into what you see. <laughs> but prominence isn't about importance. The, 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 the way that people have prominence isn't about a, a greater significance even. And it's not that those with lesser prominence means that it's less important. Because those who are in the, in the church world, those who get prominence, well, some do some do it through clever techniques, yeah, because they understand marketing. But actually, that's not the kind of prominence that we're after. Because the passage here talks about who gives the gifts, and we'll get to that in a minute. It's not, it's not, um, it's not that I get to choose what God, God wants me to do. It's not that I get to choose how God has gifted me. It's not, how, it's not that, Jonathan, you don't get to choose what God's gifted you to do. Because he's placed stuff in you that he wants to draw out for the benefit of others. We don't get to choose. That's not our choice. So please don't understand prominence as as, as significance or importance. It's not. It's just, it's about function. It's about function. But there's some, and I I think that is really important to understand when Paul is writing these first six verses in this chapter about unity. And so he says this, doesn't he? He says, uh, therefore, live a, live a life worthy of the calling you received with all humility, gentleness, and with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
And then he goes on, there is one body, one, we'll get to that in a moment. But make every effort, he says. Doesn't just happen. But the thing is, we're not striving for unity, we already have it. So if we're in Christ Jesus, we are, we are united with him and we are united with one another. We don't get a choice of whether we're united or not. So that's the reality. So like it or loathe it, if you're a follower of Jesus, just like me, we're united in Christ. Whether you like me or not, whether you want to listen to me or not, whether you're thinking, I wish I hadn't come this morning, or not, we're united. Because it's not about whether, whether I like you or not, whether you like me, it's not about any of that, although that is really important actually. The starting point is that if we are in Christ Jesus, not simply as a community of OCC, but of the universal church, in Christ Jesus, faith in Jesus, united in Jesus, on primary issues around the person of Jesus, saving faith in Jesus, Christ alone, faith in Jesus, then we're united. All the other stuff, we can have really good fun debating. There's some really important primary doctrine that we ha- I think we have to agree on because it's foundational for the church. If we differ on Jesus, we differ on Trinity, then I think we, we, we can, and that's where some of the tensions arise, actually. But the primary issues are the things that unite us, and it's around the person of Jesus. The secondary issues are about style of worship. Really? Are we going to fall out over a style of worship? No. We, well, we shouldn't. Unfortunately, people do. Because the thing is, it's not about what we do that unites us, it's about who we are in Jesus. It's about Jesus who unites us. And so we therefore I, I really have to make a choice about how we will live and about how we will love one another. Because Paul says, listen, he says, with all humility, gentleness and patience, the way that we behave reveals what we truly believe. Our behaviour always truly reveals what we truly believe. Because we can't say we believe one thing and then act another way. Because the outworking of belief is always in the practice of what we do. So we cannot say we love, our, we love God and hate our brothers and sisters in Christ. We cannot, we cannot say that we love God and speak badly of other people behind their back. We cannot say that we love God and seek their demise. We cannot do any of those things and truly say that we love God because the way that we behave determines how we behave. And so our belief shapes our behaviour and our belief shapes our witness. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Keeping the unity of the Spirit that's already been given through the bond of peace. Humility. And C.S. Lewis says this, is humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Love that. Because actually so much of what we think about humility is, oh no, it's not I, it's the Lord. It's not me. It's, other. it's not... It's not thinking less that, well, we can't do this, or I can't do that. 
Actually, it's, uh, I think humility is a starting point. Is understanding that what we have is a gift of God. What we have and who we are has been given by him. It's a grace gift, and we can live out of that. So to do otherwise is actually to go against the grace gift. Because I can be no other than who I am and who God has purposed me to be. So to live falsely is a false self. So it's not humility. Humility is saying, I am, I am who I am and I'm not who I will be. I am a wor- at work. God is at work in and through us. But humility is not thinking about I. It's actually a posture of other, other focus. It's a posture saying, how... How can, how can I give myself to others so that they can become all that God has purposed them to be? So that, how they, 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 they can live out of the fullness of God, how God has intended them to live, out of the life that God has purposed and shaped them to be. How can I and how can we contribute to that so that we live a life that is other-focused? Which really is the life of Jesus, isn't it? Because if Jesus had been thinking about himself, would he have gone to the cross? If Jesus had been thinking about self-preservation, about his own glory, then there would have been a lot easier way of going about it than, than journeying towards the cross. But he chose the way of the cross. Why? Because it was for the benefit of the world. The benefit of all those who would believe in him. Not just, not just humanity, but all of creation. Fill all things. This passage isn't just about us. It's about all things, seen and unseen. The fullness of God revealed to the whole of creation, seen and unseen. That he is the sovereign ruler of everything. That's who we get to abide in. And that's who we get to shape us. And that's how we get to live out of the fullness of God's activity in us and through us. Gentleness and patience, he says. So you've got humility. This is the only way that we can live, I think, a united life. United with God and united with others is, is that, that humility and gentleness and patience. Because these are qualities that communicate God's character and God's heart. Aren't you so thankful for his gentleness towards you? There are times I know I reflect on my own life and conversation with others, you see the gentleness of God and where it could be harsh. Because of the things I've thought, said, or done. But God's gentleness and his kindness leads to repentance, leads to transformation. And his patience with us is that he doesn't, he doesn't rush us. He doesn't like, come on, hurry up, get on with this. Get on. He, he walks patiently with us. Because he knows the training plan required for us. He knows our character. He knows what's necessary. And so the, the, the plan is to walk in step with him so that we walk, he, walk, he will walk patiently with us. And therefore, it enables us to be gentle and patient with others. Because if he's been gentle and patient with you and with me, with us, how dare we not live that kind of life? So how does that work its way out? Well, I think actually it works, it works its way out in in just pausing before we speak. Pausing before we say something. When somebody does something or says something or uh, and communicates something in a way that you could take offence at or be bothered by, just pause before you say a word. Because they might be having a really bad day. 
They might have had stuff going on in their lives that you know nothing of. And you say something and it just compounds the issue. So just stop. Now, it doesn't mean to say that we don't ever have to say anything to anybody because otherwise that would be really boring and nobody would ever grow. But the manner in which we communicate, the relationship that we have, the bond of peace that we have, is the primary thing that we're seeking to try and maintain. Not peace at all costs, because that rarely works. Because stuff has to be dealt with. But let's do it with gentleness and patience. Knowing that actually the journey of, of, of our lives, collectively and individually, God is showing his great, great patience with us. Love is patient and kind. Love that in, in 1 Corinthians 13, that definition of love. The character of Christ expressed through that poem of this is what love looks like. What would it look like for us to be shaped by that? To live out of that life and character of Christ. Well, I think that's what we're called to do. I think that's called, who we're called to be. And I think there should be something supernatural um, about God's love for us and in us and through us expressed to one another. I'm very conscious of time and I'm on page five of my notes and I've got 35 to go. <laughs> I've got, got a few. All right, so make every effort, we've done that. Um, so, one, so then we go, how, do, how does this all work its way out? Well, Paul gives some instruction. One body, many parts, all held together by Jesus. The one Lord, Jesus, who's the image of the invisible God. One hope, that future consummation, that the new heaven and the new earth, that one day everything will be made new and everything will, will be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. And then we've got this one faith. The Jesus, uh, Jesus and the, uh, the apostolic teaching, we don't have the luxury of making up our own, our own patterns of life, our own way of living, our own uh, journey. We don't have that luxury because we, we are, it's determined by that which Jesus has set and the apostolic teaching that we have in Scripture that we pattern our lives after the way of Jesus. So we don't get to call the shots. We are people under the authority of Jesus. One faith. One baptism, baptised into one body by the Spirit. That public confession of Jesus. That the old life has gone and the new life is now found in Christ. I am not my own, but I am Christ. That public, corporate confession that we are part of this body. One God, Father, Son and Spirit. Paul is absolutely Trinitarian in his theology. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is one who is above all and over all and in whom all things find their purpose. If the person we are not following, is, if it's not Jesus, then who are we really following? What are we patting our life after? Because it's not, not what we find in these pages of Scripture. But we are interdependent. Not just as a, a community of 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 OCC but actually the other congregations in Stratford that are, are, are Bible believing faith filled, Jesus focused we are, we are part of this, this collective witness to Jesus with all its beautiful variations wouldn't it be boring if every church was a Pentecostal church like ours <laughs> that says a true Pente because <laughs> not, ev- not everybody's like us 
Not everybody loves the, the, the moments of encounter and, and worship of, 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 the, of the contemporary songs that we have. Others find great meaning and purpose and value in, in, the, in the more contemplative journeys of, of life or the more traditional approaches to worship. And that's all right. That's good. Because there's beauty in that diversity. But what is it that holds us all together? It's Jesus. It's this one faith. This one body. All differently expressing the, 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 the character and the beauty of Jesus. So we are, we are the body of Christ. We're not like the body of Christ. It's not like it. There's no like. We are. That's who we are. So when Jesus um, ascended, to the, ascended to the right hand of the Father and rules over all things and now sits at the right hand of the Father and he has dominion and domain over all things. That's what Colossians and Ephesians is really proclaiming. This, is, this isn't about a political system. This is about a, a universal world system of all the, the competing forces. Jesus is saying, I sit and rule over it all. All things submit to Jesus. And so as the church on the earth, we are his body on, on, on this world in order to display his glory, display his majesty, to, to carry on his ministry. Otherwise, why on earth are we here? It's certainly not to sing our songs on Sundays. Or to listen to our, our, a nice little podcast on the morning. Or to engage in corporate repair. All of those things are good, but that is not why we're here. We are here to display the wonder of the one who has saved us and called us and united us. And he gives gifts to those he calls his own. See, the thing about this passage um, that I've, I've come to realise is that so often this passage, as it relates to the gifts that Paul goes on to write, many people have just interpreted it as like a leadership thing. So this, this, is, this is leaders. But nowhere in this passage does Paul address leaders. He addresses a church. He addresses a congregation of people. So these gifts have been given to the church. Now, do some operate in different levels of maturity when it comes to some of these gifts? Yes, they do, because it's part and parcel of what Christ is given. He says, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So why is it that in, in our network we have, we have people who are, are, would be, they're, they're apostles. They've started movements. Like thousands of churches, not as we would know it, have been planted across, across nations because of an apostolic call upon people's lives. Now, are they operating at a different level to, to that which I'm operating at? Absolutely they are. Do we get jealous about that? No. Christ's gift measured by Christ, he deposits it. The same is true of the pastor, the teacher, evangelist, the, the shepherd. It's Christ's gift, it's his capacity to measure of faith. Now, I think we have a responsibility to start stepping out in that stuff and start cultivating and growing, not just thinking, oh, this is it, but let's step out into those things and go, well, this is how God designed me. I want to operate and flourish in this way. Why? For the benefit of the church. So the fivefold, and I'm gonna, I will wrap this up soon. Um, you're not going to be here all day. The fivefold ministry is seen, is seen in Ephesians 4.11. We see perfectly in Christ. 
He is the perfect and absolute apostle. He is the perfect and absolute prophet. He is the perfect and absolute evangelist. He is the perfect and absolute pastor. He is the perfect and absolute teacher. There is nobody who can compare to Jesus and he is all those things in absolute, complete perfection. See them expressed through his ministry in the Gospels. So it stands to reason that if we are the body of Christ, it's not just a few who have these outworked in their lives. Actually, they're a gift to the church. They're people gifts. So we see the apostolic worked out in some of your lives. You might think, oh, how does that work, Ian? I am, I'm not planting a church. And, but we see that the, 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 the DNA of, of an, of an apost- apostolic figure. Why? Because as Alan Hirsch would say, the ap- apostles are connected to the mission of God. They see the big picture. They see the, 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 the big, big thing and they're willing to break through to make some stuff happen. Why? Because they're captivated by the mission of God. Start things by the apostle Paul. He's called an apostle. Why? Because he was captivated by the mission of God. And thousands of churches were planted through him. Not by him, but through him. Why? Because he trained up other apostolic figures to go into nations and regions, to plant churches, to raise up other apostolic figures, to plant churches that would see it catalyst. But he didn't operate alone. He built a team and so he would have prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers in the mix because it needs all things. But we are not all things to all men. That's Jesus. But we are some of those things in order that the world might know and see the one who is all things and the kingdom of God might advance. So apostles connected to the mission of God. Prophets connected to the heart of God. Um, Evangelists connected to the message of God. Pastors connected to the people of God. Teachers connected to the truth of God. We need all of those things in operation. So as we think about gospel communities, and this is conversations that we've had as elders over recent months, how do we begin to operate in such a way that releases the, these, these ministry gifts, these people gifts to the church, so that Jesus is made known and we become more effective in his mission? Because if it's just a few people who, are, who have these things, then that's going to take a really long time to mobilise uh, <laughs> and do anything, actually. So within our gospel communities, I, I, I would say it's a, it's a dream of ours, a hope of ours, not just a hope and a dream that we're thinking, oh, maybe someday. It's one of those things that we are actively working out. What does it look like for us to raise apostolic people? Because if we want to reach the 130,000 people of Stratford-on-Avon district, it cannot simply be me or John or other apostolic figures in the leadership team. We have to be able to raise up other apostolic figures to go and plant more gospel communities. And you, might, you will still keep your day job. Because it cannot be about a paid clergy doing this stuff. Because this isn't about a leadership passage. This is a passage to the church. And so the more that we live out of the reality of this. Now, we've got a, load of, we've got a long way to go on this. So I'm laying some of, I want to just lay some of the foundations of what we, what, we, what we see. But we would absolutely see these five-fold ministries taking place within the context of our gospel communities. Why? Because I think, we think it's the healthier pattern of life in church. So it doesn't mean that John or I or anybody else who's got maybe have a, one of those little red badges in a wallet that says we're an ordained Elam minister. The expectation is that we have to be all of those things to all people. 
But wouldn't it be amazing that within our gospel communities we could see teachers rise up? With an ability to communicate the word of God in such a way that isn't just about information, but is about transformation. That actually work with the apostolic and the, and the evangelist and the prophet and the teacher. That those things work together because if it's just all teaching, that becomes like, a, that's a Bible study. Or if, it, if it's just the apostolic, then we're all going to be really tired. And we're all, we're, you know, we're not, we're, there's going to be no pastoral care. And so we need that, because if, if it's left to the apostolic figures, it's going to be go, 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 go. The mission's too important. Let's get on with it and do it. But actually, people, people need to know that the love of Christ is available for them. They need to know that actually in the, in the pain, Christ loves them and, and the church loves them and that we're willing to journey with people. But don't expect an apostle to be great pastor. And don't expect a, a, a prophet to be a great teacher. There may be some mix around in all of those things because I don't think we're just one of those. I think we see a blend of them. But actually what we, uh, what we, what we see is that as those things begin to work together, pastoral care becomes a reality. The apostolic fulfilling of the mission is worked out. The evangelists are released. People are the gatherers. Like, it, it might not just even be in a, a, you know, it might not be just a, in the, in the, in the gospel sense of the word, but you know, you, how can you tell an evangelist? Well, they'll sell you anything. <laughs> they'll, they, you know, they, they will be as passionate about the, communicating the truth of the gospel as they will about the latest gadgets. Mark Greenwood, who's a part of, you know, been around in this church for a while. Like, he, he, how do we know he's an evangelist? Well, he's as passionate. No, he's more passionate about Jesus, but I, I think Mac products are, are right up there. <laughs> like, he, he, he would sell you Mac, like, because he just, he loves it. But how, that's, I think that's how we begin to spot evangelists. Because not only are they passionate about something that they believe in, they're able to gather people and they bring people in and say, come and tell, let me tell you, it's just this amazing thing that's happened. And then we get other people in passionate and excited about it. How do we know the prophets? Oh, they're captivated by the justice and the mercy of God. They, they, want, they want to see the, the, the kingdom advance into the most uh, challenging and difficult parts of society. They're, they're radically passionate about justice. And prayer, and they'll call the church back to the mission of God. They'll, they'll keep people on focus. This is a thing that we've, we're, we're about. But if you, if you just have the prophet, my goodness, you're going you're gonna to be like, oh, every week. So all of these things work together to paint this picture of the one in whom we're truly pointing people to. Who is the one who fulfills the mission of God, who is the one who is able to speak justice and truth and light and mercy, who is the, the evangelist who will proclaim the truth in a compelling and captivating way, he is the greatest pastor and the greatest teacher. And so as we journey through uh, life, these things are given for the, for the benefit of the church and the benefit of the mission. But actually, the more, uh, just to finish this last, the last bit of the saying, the more we are united in unity and operating in ministry, I think the more naturally maturity begins to flow. 
Because the more that we give out of ourselves, the more space and capacity that I think God creates in us to mature us. You see, when, um, when my kids were young, they, they thought that life revolved around them. They demanded everything. Oh, babies, they, they really needed our attention and care. And, and in many respects, life did revolve around them because if we'd have left them for too long, social services would have been called. I say too long. We didn't leave them at all. <laughs> Just to clarify. Uh, so, but you get what I'm trying to say? It's like, if, if we leave, stay in that infant stage, everything's about me. Oh, the church should be doing this for me. Others should be doing this for me, 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 me. But the more we step into the reality of who God's called us to be, and that's why I say about the kids, if we can identify that in them early, oh, imagine what could happen in the church as the generation arises through and they're captivated by the mission of God, they're, they're able to communicate the truth of God. Imagine what could happen as they grow into maturity. They might not need to wait till the 35 to the, for the penny to drop. But as they get into like 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, beginning to emerge in this new wave of people who are passionate about the things of God, wouldn't that be amazing? Could we dare to believe that for Stratford? That the kids in our, currently in our church could be catalysts for a move of God in this region like never before? What if the vision that we're sowing for the future isn't about now, but is about that which is to come? Would we be alright with that? That actually what we're investing now is, is for generations. That I might die, John might die at the end of the time of Jesus, whenever Jesus permits that actually we, we, it's just about passing something on that you and I both collectively, because it isn't just about us. It's about us. Saying this is, what we're doing is investing for the generations ahead. And, and God in his grace does stuff in the now that will surprise us. But actually maturity will come the more that we give ourselves to others and his mission. So how do we know when we're growing? Well, I think we, we, there's an increase in the knowledge of Christ. I think we grow in stability. I think our understanding of who Jesus is begins to increase in a way that it wasn't like when we first came to him. I think there's a depth. And, and the, even being an ability to wrestle with some of the mystery and some of the misunderstanding, not knowing some stuff, I think that's okay the more that we mature because we realise we don't know everything. What about Fullness. Well, actually, one day, in, the, in that which is to come, we'll be, we'll be fully known and we'll fully know. Everything will be made known. And we'll be fully complete in him. Perfected in him. No more suffering, no more pain, no more sin, no more shortfalls. Perfect in him. Fullness. And so the role of the church is to work in such a way that brings us through, all through to a place of maturity, not just some. And my fear is that over the years, the way that we have, not we, but the way that the church has been structured, it's put an emphasis upon a few to do the work of the many, rather than inviting the many into the work of ministry and maturity. So we're all called to mature. We'll, all, we'll, make, we'll do that in different stages at different points, and that's part of the grace that's needed. It's part of the, the make every effort to maintain the unity of peace, because we're all at different places, but growing together in him and so what if everybody was to play their part 
What if everybody was to identify just who God has purposed them to be? And that, my friends, is why we believe in that as we work gospel communities out, is we believe that in those places we'll be able to help one another identify with great, even greater clarity what God has purposed us to do. Because I believe that those sort of things can only truly be fleshed out in close proximity. On Sunday mornings, it's great. But we do our thing and we go. But in the life of gospel communities, it's life together, maturing together, on mission together, so that Jesus is made known and that we are transformed. And with that, I'm going to shut up because I've preached far too long. And I'm going to pray.